Spirit of God, you are constantly trying to invite us into something bigger and deeper. To think that that just happens in a sermon is foolishness. Our whole life is an invitation from you to follow, to dive in, to come out of. There's always more, always more beauty, always more goodness, always more challenge. And so would you just use a silly little 30-minute sermon to, to continue that invitation and journey? We say like the Apostle Peter said, Jesus, where else can we go? For you have the words of eternal life. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Have you ever found the parables to be a kind of weird thing in the scriptures? Have you, ever, have you ever read the parables and just been kind of confused and thought it's a little bit odd? God comes to planet Earth, the maker and creator of all things, the one who sustains all things by the power of his word, it says in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. The, the, the ground of all being, God becomes a created human being, a person. And then that God starts to teach about what God is after and what God is like and what God is, what, what, why God pursues humanity and what God values. If you had a blank slate and I were to ask you, what's the most effective way for God to communicate the deepest truths of the universe? I wonder, what, what, what methodology do you think God would use to best communicate those truths? I don't think any one of us would say, speak in abstract stories and parables. There are 39 parables, give or take. There are about 39 parables in the Gospels, and it's Jesus' primary methodology for teaching about what the kingdom is like. And these parables have been stumping people who have been listening to them since Jesus told them, 2,000 years ago, and they're still stumping us now. Some of them aren't very clear. Have you ever been confused by a parable of Jesus? Have you ever been, have, have, has any parable made you feel uncomfortable at all? If so, good. That's what they're designed to do. See, parables are not like classroom lectures that most of us would expect God to come and give us a 14-point lecture on science, and then we get a 13-point lecture on physics. You, you know, you, you, we expect these college lectures, but Jesus comes and tells these stories that are deliberately open-ended. That means that for these stories that Jesus told, these parables that Jesus told, for some of them, 
There is no one meaning. There's an untold amount of meanings. Parables don't give us the answer really quickly. They actually invite more questions. And they're designed to do just that. See, Jesus comes, he speaks in these these parables, and he's trying to upset the religious people's sensibilities. See, we like to have it all figured out. This is a universal religious phenomenon. I can tell you pretty much most all of us, we love answers. Right? Who doesn't like answers? Like, you got questions. And when we're talking about the God stuff, we're talking about the most profound questions, questions about why am I here, and is there a God, and is there meaning to any of this stuff? We like answers to those kind of questions, right? Who doesn't? And so we turn our religion into this formulaic world where everything makes sense and we've got everything, under, everything understood. And Jesus comes and turns those religious sensibilities on their heads. See, because Jesus, get, just, this is just a, it's a universal truth that we human beings like easy answers and quick, clear certain answers, and it's also a universal scriptural truth that God never gives his people clear, concise answers. See, God seems more interested in inviting us into the story rather than giving us the cheat sheet. When God's teaching... Jesus is bringing these parables to invite us into these stories rather than say, here's the cheat sheet, now go and live your life. Jesus is teaching in parables so that we would walk out of these doors with questions. Jesus is telling us these parables not so that we walk out of these doors. See, most every person in my role, my job now is to give you a dilemma, a a, a problem, a crisis, and then to answer that crisis perfectly. So when you walk out those doors, you're like, man, he figured everything out for me. Jesus does the opposite. Jesus sends the crowds away perplexed and wondering, what in the world is that guy about? See, because Jesus is always inviting us into the story of God, into the story of humanity and reality, always inviting us to ask those questions and to realize that that's what life is about, is asking questions and filling ourselves with wonder and curiosity and knowing that we're always going to, these parables will take on different roles. The parable of the prodigal son, I've flip-flopped between who I identify with that a number of times in the course of my life. That's the beauty of these parables. And so what we're going to be doing for the next couple of months, friends, is, again, recentering ourselves in this way of Jesus. We're not done with the way of Jesus sermon series. We, were, we spent several months in the Sermon on the Mount. And now we're going to spend a couple of months in the parables, unpacking these parables and trying to figure out what is Jesus inviting us into. See, the point of this sermon series, if you remember is to sit under the feet of the teaching of Jesus because we've got all these talking heads coming at us all the time trying to, trying to tell us what's real about the world and what we should value and how we should think. Our world is full of 
news channels and newspapers. I still like the newspapers still. But podcasts, all these things telling us what to think. And we're preached to all the time. And we're told that our world, the way to make sense of it and the way to navigate it is through politics and through partisan, divided world where I just want to tune all that out, put it on mute as much as I can, and just listen to Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to recenter myself over and over and over again in this man, Jesus. And so that's what we're going to continue to do. We're going to look at some parables that some of which are kind of fun and feel clear. Others are going to challenge the core of our religious sensibilities. And Jesus seems to like it that way. So, if you like reading along in your Bibles, you, there's probably a Bible in front of you, or if you brought one, you probably are, have a Baptist background. I do. I got my Bible here. This is going to start in Matthew 13. This is the beginning of a series of, of parables that Jesus is going to tell, and it's, it's on the back end of some really interesting stuff, but we're just going to dive into Matthew 13. This is Matthew 13, 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood in the, in the shore. And then he told them many things in parables. So just picture that. Jesus is in a home in Galilee, and it's, on, it's near, near the, the Sea of Galilee. And he goes into, there's so many crowds that he goes out into a boat and he begins teaching like a rabbi from this boat. And this is what he says. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came up, came and ate it up. Now, this would be no surprise to this culture. A farmer sowing seed, if, if you would if, tell a story to us, we'd be like, what, what the heck are you talking about? This is a very agrarian society, a very agrarian culture. Their agriculture is in the, the soil is rich where they are in Galilee. So this is just a normal metaphor. Farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown Whoever has ears, let them hear. So Jesus, this story is situated in a, in a time of Jesus' ministry where he was subject to a lot of rejection. If you read in the previous chapters in the book of Matthew 10, 11, 12, Jesus is being rejected by big people groups, even his own family in some ways. Even by John the Baptist, John, 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 sent, John is in prison and sends his followers to say, hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Can you tell us yes or no? Scholars seem to believe that John was actually really asking that question, that it wasn't just a facetious one to, do so, to, to set the table for Jesus to do some teaching. It seems like John was actually kind of had his doubts whether or not Jesus was the Messiah and was a little bit disillusioned. And so he sent his followers to ask. And Jesus, of course, like Jesus does, doesn't give him a clear answer. 
Do you remember that where John the Baptist, his followers come and ask, are you the one who is sent? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, why don't you go tell John what you see happening? Not, yes, I am the anointed one, worship me. Just, just tell John what's happening around. The blind are receiving sight. The lame are walking. The good news is being declared to the poor. Just go tell John and he can put two and two together. He gives no clear answers, but it's on the, on the eve, or on the, after Jesus is being rejected by big groups of people, he starts speaking in these parables. And this is one of a string of parables. And the disciples are with Jesus in the boat, we think. And he tells the story of a, of a, of a farmer sowing his seed and it falls on rocky ground. Some falls on shallow ground. Some falls on really dry ground. Some falls on really good ground. And the disciples then huddle back with Jesus and they say this. The disciples come up to Jesus and ask, why do you speak to the people in parables? So this is a little sidebar, right? Not every, the crowd isn't getting this conversation. It's just Jesus and the disciples. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he quotes the prophet Isaiah. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will, never, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. And they hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, disciples, because they see in your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but not, did not hear it. So Jesus is quoting the prophets when his disciples come, and they're, they're like, why are you speaking in code, Jesus? Why do you teach the people like this? You could do it so much differently, is what they're saying. They're, they're questioning Jesus' method of of teaching, and of, a rabbi teaches his people and it wants to be good and clear. And they're like, why are you doing this? Why are you speaking in stories and in vagueness and metaphors? Why don't you just come out and say it? And Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah because, see, the prophets, God has been speaking to his people in parables the whole time God has been after a people. If you look at the prophets, particularly Ezekiel, but Isaiah, many other prophets, there's parables in there. Because the people of God throughout all these generations have, have, have this thing in common, which is they just don't hear the heart of God coming through his words. And so Jesus says, this is why I speak in parables. God has always been speaking in parables. And then he says this seemingly really mean thing. Did you get it? If you're really listening, this is one of those uncomfortable moments in the parables. When Jesus said, hey, to those who have, more will be given to them. And to those who have a little bit, even that will be taken from them. Whoa. How do you, do you just move on from that? That's one of those, sweep it under the rug, forget it's there. Is Jesus kind of affirming this doctrine that says that God creates all sorts of people for eternal conscious torment and destruction? He predestines people for that. That's why they're born. No, that's a terrible doctrine. 
You sh if you were, grew up with that doctrine, you should deconstruct it immediately. It's no good. That makes God into a monster. Is Jesus saying here when he says, to those who have more will be given, and to those who have a little bit, that will be taken from them? Is he kind of embodying this CEO Wall Street of Wall Street that says, I'm going to give my, my, my important executives huge multi-million dollar bonuses, and I'm going to keep the working stiffs down here. Bernie Sanders would be going crazy right now. Is that what Jesus is talking about? I, and many scholars believe Jesus is saying here, basically, are you fertile ground for the kingdom? This is the punchline. We're getting ahead of ourselves here for, of, the, of the parable, but what kind of ground are you for the kingdom? Are you fertile ground? See, because if you're fertile, fertile ground for the kingdom, if you have ears to hear, the kingdom is going to, to, the seed of the kingdom is going to take root in you and it's going to blossom and you're going to have more and more capacity to understand these beautiful deep truths of the kingdom and of reality and of the world. Are you with me? But if you don't have ears to hear, if your hearts are hardened like the prophet Isaiah said, you're going to get further and further and further away from the kingdom. If you're obsessed with the ways of the world and think that that's how, that's how this reality works and that's how to get ahead in this world, if you're obsessed with the broken, sinful ways of the world, you're going to find yourself getting further and further and further from goodness and life and beauty and truth. You're going to think that's your methodology and the more you do that, the further you're going to find yourself from me and my kingdom, Jesus is saying. Does that make sense? This is not about God predestining or God, God choosing some for goodness and some for destruction. This is about God's asking, what kind of ground are you? Because see, how you are listening to me and the, the filters in your ears, they're going to determine what kind of fruit is born out of your life. So let's, let's let Jesus interpret the parable for us. Not all the parables have explanations, but Jesus was gracious and did give an explanation this time. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Whenever anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed along, sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. This is like the, 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 the spiritual retreat kind of Christians. We're super excited on this weekend and then it's just done. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So here we get the explanation, the interpretation of the parable from Jesus himself. And what we find is that this, this parable is not about the sower really at all. We call it the parable of the sower, but it's not about the sower. In German, Eagle, can you put the German name for this parable up. This is the ancient German name for this parable. And Randy Schmore, do you have a microphone near you? 
our resident German, can you, uh, can you read that for us, that mess? Can, can you uh, unmute the handheld, Matt? Gleichnis von vier Erlei Acker. Holy cow. <laughs> Say that again, please. Gleichnis von vier Erlei Acker. Okay. I'm not even going to try to repeat it. <laughs> German is the most awful sounding language in the world. But can you interpret that for us, Randy? Well, it's parable of the field of fourths. Parable of the field of fourths. In other ways, it's parable of the four types of ground. Parable of the four types of ground. See, this parable is about dirt. This parable is simply about dirt. This is a parable that I feel like Iowans could really connect with. Right? I, d I didn't know this, but Iowans are very proud of their dirt. Ian, you have family background in, in Iowa. What do Iowans say? Best dirt in the world. You have skyscrapers and beautiful oceans. We got the best dang dirt in the world. I used to make fun of that, but there's something really cool about that. The place where good things grow, the best dirt in the world. My wife, I didn't know anything about dirt until my wife started gardening. I'm a city kid, couldn't care less about gardens, growing things, dirt, all that. It's all the same. But my wife enjoys gardening. She calls the, her garden her happy place. She loves being in it. So we had this garden that's legendary around these parts. If you've been around Bruce City for a long time, you've heard about this garden that we built. It was beautiful. It was great. We had to tear it down. Our neighbors didn't like it, and it was some weird ordinances. We had to tear it down. It was dramatic. I don't want to go into it. We're over it. We had to tear that one down, build another one. But that first garden that we had, we had it for a year. And it was spectacular. I mean, people would literally, I couldn't believe it. People would literally slow their cars down. We're on a quiet area of Wauwatosis. So people would literally slow their cars down, roll down their windows and be like, what are you doing to get that kind of garden? I mean, vegetables were growing like weeds. It was just lush and full Multiple people would ask, How do you, what are you doing? And my wife would answer the same time every time. Same thing every time. We got really good compost. We struck, yeah, black gold. We struck gold. A compost company came, dumped this stuff in, and it was just full of nutrients and minerals and all the things that I have no idea about that make your garden grow like weeds. It was perfect. So we have to tear that one down. We build another one in a spot where nobody can tell us to tear it down. We get another dump truck, dump a load of compost. Turns out that compost for the second hole, for the second garden, was full of clover seed, full of weeds. We thought we were getting more black gold. And now every spring and early summer, when the, when the seeds start coming up and they start turning into plants, Sarah goes nuts in her happy place because she can't figure out what's a plant and what's a weed. They all look the same. And she has spent several years now spending hours pulling weeds in her, her happy place. It's becoming less and less happy. And the difference is in the dirt, literally. This one bunch of dirt just produces great garden. Another batch of dirt we can't get rid of fast enough. And that's basically 
the punchline of this parable, friends. Here's what Jesus is asking. What kind of dirt are you? That's it. What kind of dirt are you? Are you the kind of dirt that the seeds of the kingdom fall in? And it's just people stop on the side of the road to see what are you doing? There's so much beautiful life and fruit growing out of there. There's, it's, it's just different. Wow. Is that the kind of dirt you are that is just nutrient-rich for the things of the kingdom to grow? Or are you the kind of dirt that's full of clover seed? Are you kind of the kind of dirt that's full of the stuff of this world that chokes the other stuff out? Are you the kind of dirt, are you the kind of Christian that's kind of, like Jesus described, concerned with the ways of the world? See, there's, there's all sorts of, there's huge amounts of the church in America today that we've fooled ourselves into thinking that the ways of the kingdom look like the ways of this world, look like politics of our day. And so we think that the ways of the kingdom are, are rooted in things like anger and bitterness and judgmentalism and tribalism and all this garbage. And we think it's good gospel truth. It's terrible, terrible dirt. You want to know, I'll, I'll give you, the Apostle Paul gave us a cheat sheet, I know Jesus doesn't like this, but the Apostle Paul gave us a cheat sheet to see, figure out what kind of dirt am I, what kind of ground am I, am I fertile ground for the ways of the kingdom? It's in Galatians 5. Right? Go ahead, eagle. But the fruit of the Spirit are things like memorizing your Bible verses, getting your doctrine just right, having great Sunday morning attendance, being in Bible studies, and knowing the word inside and out. No? The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Randy's watching on Facebook. I want you to settle yourselves now. I want you to actually, instead of listening to a sermon and kind of doing that with, those, with the filter of like, is this guy any good or not? I want you to just kind of settle into a, a, a posture of self-reflection. Are you there? Just want you to think about whether this is the fruit of your life. The fruit of the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does that match up with your inner world? People, if I were to ask your family and friends, what is this person marked by? Would it be these things, love? They're a joyful person. There's, they're, they're not obsessed with greatness, but they're obsessed with goodness. They are a patient person. 
person. If you are a parent, God help us. They are marked by self-control. Or would the people around you, if they were really honest, given that truth serum, would they say, they've gotten really angry. They've cut themselves off from a whole group of people because of ideology. They obsess over silly things like masks and vaccines. They're more obsessed with the yard sign than they are with the gospel that sits on their shelves. What kind of dirt are you, friends? Are you fertile ground for the kingdom? And see, if you're like me and you're feeling a little... Uh, the old school fundamentalist word is convicted. You're feeling convicted right now. Here's the thing. And I really thought about not wondering if I wanted to use this verse because it's so overused. It turns into such a corny, trite thing, but it's true. Here's the thing. If you find yourself feeling a little like, oh, man, I, I need to reflect on what kind of dirt I am. I need to reflect on what kind of fruit's coming out of, coming out of me. Here's the deal. God's mercies truly are new every stinking morning. This is the beauty of this journey called discipleship. You get a new opportunity every single day. I get this new opportunity to change the way I'm thinking about people and about family members and about people groups and about Christians. I get a new opportunity to repent and change and fill myself with things like goodness, patience, Kindness. What fruit do we see in the church? The beautiful thing is, friends, no matter what we find, no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad I am, I get this new opportunity to manifest the ways of the kingdom. And then Jesus said, the more I do that, the more I've got ears to hear, the more I'm listening for the Spirit wherever she shows up, the more I do that, it just gets habitual, and it turns into routine and rhythm in my life, and I become this really good, fertile soil for the kingdom to take root and to blossom. That's the kind of life that I want to lead. So let's stand up and, and pray one last time and sing one last song. Jesus, this dirt we're talking about, it's, I think the word for it is our soul, our inner men and women. We've been through some collective trauma as a, as, a, as a society. The last couple of years have felt like a pressure cooker. Like we're being wrung out and we find what's truly in us. Holy Spirit, you're really good at cultivating, cultivating the ground that is our souls. It's why I'm confident that I'm just beginning this journey with you, that your mercies are really new every morning. 
Then when I screw up and get it wrong and I get obsessed with judgmentalism and being in, manifesting an anxious, anxious presence in this world and, and fill myself with anger more than goodness. I trust that there's more to me because, there, because of you, Holy Spirit. Because of the good work that you're doing in and around me. So would you help us? Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to receive your cultivation? Would you help us to receive your correction? Would you help repentance to not be a dirty word and a foreign word, something that we expect of other people more than ourselves? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the, your word that corrects us, that challenges us, that encourages us, that is a never-ending mystery, full of wonder and delight, I like calling myself a, a Jesus follower. When I really get down and, and think about it, I remember over and over again that it's the best thing about me. You, Jesus, are the best thing about me. That the more I give myself to you, the more my world opens up and is spacious and good. And so now we just sing out this beautiful invitation to come to this place where your presence dwells to find life and refreshment. Let's sing one more time. <laughs>